Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forests. Because we all know that forests play a key role in combating climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. Today, we are going to look at something that actually goes beyond FSC and certification of forest areas. We are going to look at the concept of landscape approaches and how we as FSC can help facilitate a holistic approach to management of landscapes across interests and across stakeholders. Now, you may not know in depth what a landscape approach is or why it's so important to look at landscapes. Fear not, because I didn't either. So I asked all of the stupid questions on your behalf to two of the people right now trying to find new ways to approach the whole area. Hema Botekes, who's FSC's Stakeholder Solutions Director, and Claude Gossia. Claude is a French-Spanish researcher leading the Forest Management and Development Group at ETHZ, the Swiss Federal Institute for Technology. He also works for CIRAD, which is the French Research Center on Agriculture and Development. I recorded the interview on a snowy winter day from Denmark where I live and with my entire family at home due to a COVID-19 lockdown. So if my connection sounds a bit wobbly here and there, it's just because I had like 15 other devices online on my Wi-Fi occupying bandwidth. Luckily, both Claude and Hemma's connections were crystal clear. And since they were the expert, I deemed that that was most important. And with that tiny disclaimer, let's dive straight into the conversation with the two on landscape approaches and trying to deal with them differently. Hi, Emma, uh, and welcome to the podcast. Well, why is it so important that we look at landscape in general? Efficacy is certifying forest management units, and a forest management unit is usually part of a landscape and has a huge influence on that landscape. It's often forest-dominated landscapes. Now, looking at our mission, it's actually not enough anymore to say, well, we do really responsible and the best forest management in just 2% of that landscape. It's kind of unsatisfactory. So we need to look at the surroundings and we need to look at the influence of the forest management in the wider landscape and be more precise in that. Mm -hmm. So it's important to look at landscape to identify can the impact of what we do on a forest management certified unit be optimal in the rest of the landscape? Is it the best place? And what else can we do to help good forest management in the further landscape? Mm -hmm. It sounds like, because when you're saying an FSC certified unit is 2% of the entire landscape, that sounds like a landscape is always huge or can it be small as well? It perhaps also says something about the forest management unit, right? <laughs> Not sure. Forest management unit, units are huge. So most, many of them are small, actually. So it could be that the landscape is not very big. It also, and that is usually the case, it could be that a forest management unit is part of a wider landscape. Usually that's the case. But how do you then, how do you then define what's the boundaries of a landscape? How do you define what a landscape is and what, isn't part of this landscape, but the next landscape. That is defined by an ecosystem, you could say, that is depending on the forest. That is how we mostly look at it. If it is a forest-depending landscape, uh, then, for example, the water streams are depending on what happens in the forest. But I think, actually, this is a very good question for Claude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get it. 
lot of them because Claude, I know also this is an area that FSC has been struggling with for years, trying to define what is landscapes? How do we actually tackle this? Um, so how do we define those landscapes and where they end? And, and what are you trying to bring to the table? It's actually useful to go back to the actual definitions of, for example, of ecosystem. Ecosystems were defined in 1935, so it has a long history. And it's interesting to see that in the original definition, it's already identified as an intellectual construction, which means an ecosystem only exists because someone is looking at nature. The same thing happens for a landscape. The boundaries of the landscape depends on the questions you're asking and depends on the person who's talking. Um, when we do system science, we define a system as the components within the system, the interactions between these components, and the boundary of that system. And the boundary is given by the questions you're asking. That means we, we can invent and define landscapes and provide definitions that are not tied to any specific scale, geographically or time. I can be interested in a landscape that is as small as my backyard for uh, one month, or as a landscape which is as big as the entire Congo Basin for the last two centuries. And that is a valid. Your definition must be able to accommodate these changes in scale and in time. It's the observer that provides the boundary to what the landscape is and what is relevant. Change the question, the limits change. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So I, I get two things from that. One, the landscape definition of, or what fits into a landscape, then if you're saying it, it's defined by what you're looking at, that also means that if you look at the exact same area, if you look at it from the water sources landscape approach, that would be one area then that would define the boundaries. But then if you look at it from a biodiversity angle instead, then it's another area. Am I getting that right? That's exactly the point. So now that we've established that the boundaries of a landscape are defined by the questions we are asking ourselves and by who is looking, it's then useful to look at the components of the landscape, what's in the landscape. And yes, we have ecosystems and all their processes, but we also have humans in that landscape and humans with their needs and interests and their practices. And it's interesting then to look at the relationship between humans and the ecosystems and the forest. But there's one third component which is crucial. These are the norms, the contracts, the, the agreements humans build to access, control, and regulate the ecosystems. If you have these three pillars, ecosystems, people, and norms, then you have a comprehensive overview of what is a landscape. Insanely interesting. Well, I'm learning a lot here, but I'm also thinking that there's a reason why we actually have invited you to the table, Claude, because you're trying to define some of these things and, and set up new systems within FSC, I guess, for how we can work with this, for me, quite complex area. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what it is that you're bringing to the table and, and why you're involved with FSC right now, basically? I might surprise um, you, but the difficulties that you mentioned earlier um, about agreeing and defining on how to manage high-value forests, intact forest landscapes, high conservation value, all these elements, this is not a problem of ecology. This is not a problem of forestry. 
It's not even a problem of remote sensing and, 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 and uh, monitoring. It's a problem of collective action. It's a problem of how do we sit together at the table and together, even when we disagree on, on, on worldviews or we don't understand the same thing when we use the same words, how do we work together? So what we are uh, offering, what we're bringing here, which is different, it's not expertise on remote sensing, but we have that, of course, but that's not new. It's not expertise on, on, on forest dynamics. We have that, but that's not new. What we bring to the table is a different way of engaging and helping people in establishing new forms of dialogue. It's about facilitation. It's about helping people take a step back and consider the objects they're looking at and they are uh, trying to manage differently so we can build agreements on different and more solid bases. Can I jump in here, uh, Noah? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I think for FSC, this is very important. It is that what we do is we see compromises between economic, environmental, and social interests. And if we only look at one of these, that is not our mission. So in looking at the whole and looking at that in a landscape context, that is what we want to do as FSC. We also want to do that in a more predictable way. So what we want to do is to really identify, well, we believe, based on a theoretical research, these values are important in that area, and those values are important in that area. And then you would know what to expect, and you would know what you need to take care of when you want to manage such a landscape or such forest management unit in a landscape in a responsible way according to the FSC principles. And that would make us much more predictable. So what are you doing right now to get us to that place? So what we have agreed to do is to actually identify what the high values are in those forests, what the main high values are in those forests, and also identifying a couple of definitions that we need to have around it. Then we have, you could say, a theoretical basis, something we could stand on. And then comes the real work. <laughs> and the real work is that we then try out what we have theoretically developed together and ask representatives of a specific landscape, and we hope to go to a tropical landscape and a boreal landscape, to actually look in the methodology developed by Claude and, and his colleagues in a collaborative way, what are the use possibilities for that landscape? And think about that as a kind of a jigsaw puzzle, where you put the pieces uh, with different colors and different uses, together, and that can be an agreed land user starting point for further development. I'm sure, Claude, you think that this is not the best description, that this is how I understand it. Claude, right. let's hear how you understand it. See, when, when we started discussing these collaborations through our networks, we realized that there are a lot of expectations and also fear sometimes by stakeholders. This is going back to square one. We've been already working for so long on these issues. This will be just one more constraint. 
the world is facing an environmental crisis and, and we need to even do more. So there is a lot of, of expectations and anxiety. That is something that I, I want uh, to say that we are aware of and we are working with. There is a thin line that we need to walk here and we are aware of that. We are therefore proposing to work in, in different steps, small steps that will give confidence to everyone on, on, on how to move together. And the first step is to start working on definitions precisely. So we are going to look at how in the published literature, in the scientific uh, literature, um, primary forests are defined, forests are defined. Now, just to have an idea of the magnitude of what these means, we are looking at publications between 2005, when the Millennium Ecosystem Assessment was published first, till today, and we are already managing more than 20,000 titles and public peer review papers. We're, of course, not only restricting this work to scientific publications, we're also looking at gray literature reports. So we are trying to capture all, all the different meanings people give and attribute to forests with value. And this will already help realize that we all mean different things. That's one element. We will then proceed to do surveys with the members of FSC, but also with stakeholders outside of FSC to get more in detail, how do they understand this and how do, do they see the system to work? We're using a method which is established already to capture ideas, not people, but ideas. And it's called the QSET methodology. We will invite people to tell us if they agree or disagree with a series of statements. Why do we do that? Because if FSC has a, an objective, a mission statement, and all the members of FSC, if they are members of FSC, that means that mission statement means something for them. So there is agreement on the mission statement. That doesn't mean that there is agreement on the worldviews. People in different chambers within FSC might have completely different worldviews, even if they all agree on the same objective. And what we say is until these differences are made explicit, it will be extremely difficult for people to work together and collaborate meaningfully. So we're doing the Q-set to identify these different narratives that are inside FSC. Mm -hmm. Knowing the other, knowing how the other thinks is the first step to build a bridge. You can't build a bridge until you identify where is the, 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 the gap. So mm -hmm. we made these gaps visible. Very interesting. I can assure you that they have different <laughs> views of the world. It's not, that's not a theoretical question. That's a fact. I'm thinking this is something that we want to motivate our members to participate in. And it is a theoretical exercise. Many of them are have busy lives and just want to get on with their, their lives and want FSC to deliver something on the ground and not really be bothered with all of the nuts and bolts behind FSC. So could you just try and give a few words to how you see what I as a member would benefit from engaging in such an exercise and, and taking the time in my busy calendar to actually help fill out that survey and give all of those different statements a thought and give our my input basically? Yeah, there are different ways that you can engage and there are different intensities in, in that engagement. 
So you can actually choose what fits best for you. We have members who really want to contribute to, for example, the theoretical basis that we are developing for the work that we are doing. That's possible. You can identify that you want to be interviewed. Uh, we will send out a, a survey in which you can identify that you want to have a closer engagement or just want to be updated on what we're doing. We will have information mailed to those who want to receive it. And that can be members, it can be general stakeholders who have an interest as well. And then you can react to that. And these reactions can be part of what we're working on. So there are different ways to engage. What you get out of it is what I said earlier, predictability, that's what I hope, and engagement in identifying what the values are that you think are important in a particular landscape. So there's a lot of benefits in engaging in this project, and you can do it at very different levels of intensity, you can say. Uh, and we dearly hope that both our members and our general stakeholders will, will register for that. That would be wonderful because mm -hmm. we need to do this together. But it also, one of the things that made me think both now and, and when we talked in the interview before, the pre-interview that we had is that it sounds like if I'm a stakeholder and I want to get involved, I actually need to know quite a lot about forest and forest values and forest management and maybe even about landscapes. This is the interesting part because you have something that is called citizen science. And citizen science actually comes from a concept that we all know quite a lot about the environment and the world that we are living in, you can say that engaging in projects like this is using that citizen science. Now, what is citizen science? You can think of um, what we do in the Netherlands, for example. We have something called Nature Today, and then you identify, I've seen the first butterfly. And some people even can identify that butterfly of this spring. And this actually brings a picture to scientists, how the, the start of spring and the outcome of butterflies actually changes over time. You can think about this project in the same way. You know a whole lot more than you think you know, especially when you are a forester working in forestry, but also when you're a, a land user. So I think... There are many different levels of engagement possible, and there is a lot of information to gain, actually, that we currently don't use. So how wonderful would that be if we can find a way of doing that? Let me chip in there, because Emma is spot on when she says most of us know way more than they think they do, and that knowledge gains at being used. But then on the other hand, I, I would like to challenge one of the difficulties is it's, it's well known that expertise, and more importantly, the perception of expertise, the fact that I think and I see myself an expert, makes me more dogmatic, makes me more, uh, it makes it more difficult for me to listen to different points of view and be more constructive. So it's actually, it goes on both ends. 
giving value to the unrecognized knowledge which is with everyone and helping those that that know these things through and through also see that there are things they might be missing because of the cognitive biases of their expertise. Polarity is one of the difficulties we're facing here, and we must do everything we can to help reduce this polarity to bring people to the table with a a more constructive mindset. Mm -hmm. So now you have a survey and you're getting people's opinions, and then what next? So, as I said, we expect to uncover multiple narratives, multiple worldviews, different worldviews within of FSC, and we will help people understand each other by, by look, showing this. But this is only one part of the work. That's the work on the definition and realizing that we mean different things. But then there are other things that we are working with. There is an element of mapping. We discussed that earlier, mapping, but mapping what? There are a ton of extremely valuable initiatives going on right now as we speak all over the planet, all over the universities, using excellent, even now extremely cheap data that is being made available freely. So we're not going to do something on that line because that already exists. We're not even going to collate all these maps together because that doesn't work. The layers used to produce these maps, they don't necessarily stack together well. We are proposing people to look at the system again differently. We will explore not the forest that exists, but the potential, the forest that could exist. We're basing this on the work of my colleague Jean-François Bastin, who is one of the partners of the consortium at the University of Liège, on the paper that was published in 2019 on the earth uh, forest restoration potential. We are going to explore what forest could be in a landscape and the difference between the potential and what we observe will tell us something about how unique that forest is, how uh, damaged it is, how pristine it is. Uh, These words, I'm using them carefully, but see, looking at the potential of of one area and what there is as a good indicator of what can be done there. An important element here is that in some situations, and now I'm talking of the Congo Basin, for example, there are multiple potentials that overlap. You have areas where you could have a forest, but you could also very well have, I don't know, a savanna. So looking at the potentiality allows us to have a more encompassing view of the possible futures for a forest or a landscape. And this gives us options to manage. It's about giving people a a more encompassing view of the future of the system they're dealing with. Linked to that, Laura, you actually can consider, so in that forest, what is the area that we could certify for industrial use? What is the area that we wouldn't certify for industrial use, but would, would recommend to use for ecosystem services, including carbon captures? And what is the area that is really important for communities, for indigenous peoples, for people living in the forest, what's the area that is important to restore and to restore to what then? And if you then look at the landscape, you're actually really considering 
the full landscape and not only the forest in that landscape when you take decisions for the forestry. My mind is exploding a little bit here right now. Are we talking here about make-believe forests or about forests that are actually already there but in need of restoration? No, that's the, the, the actual word we are using is counterfactuals. Counterfactual is something that doesn't exist and is an essential element of how you can think about the future. You can look at that and say, this is what you have. But then it requires a completely different mindset to say, what could there be if I only did things differently? So the, the proper word is counterfactuals. And that helps you to identify values. And if you've identified the values, you can consider the use. And that part I understand. I understand that because it's always much easier to talk about something that's not really there, but something that we're thinking, what if we imagine this scenario? But I also can't help but think that it's a very theoretical exercise. How does it actually bring change and impact to the ground, to the forests that are actually there? Um, seven years ago, we published a paper called 10 Guidelines for uh, la Landscape Management. And one of these guidelines means finding a common entry point. Now, when we've been talking about this paper, we've, we've give, been giving lectures or, or presenting it to people, and it's often misunderstood. People think when we mean helping and starting landscape approaches by finding a common entry point, it means start by defining a common vision or where to go. That's not what it means. Because when the values of people are at loggerheads, it's actually extremely costly, sometimes even impossible to find this common vision. And you end up with only something that is a facade, a politically correct facade, and that doesn't help you. Finding a common entry point is identifying within a set of people with different interests and values, what is the next step they can take together. So it's a policy of small steps. So it, it's the exact opposite of a theoretical exercise. It's about sitting at the table, agreeing not on how things should work, because this is difficult, but how things actually work. And on that basis, what do we do together next? The common visions, all these will emerge later. So if I would put it in my words, right? <laughs> what you do is coming from regulations, as, as we do now, setting the rules for management, that's what FSC is doing now, right? And we set those rules on the basic of national standards that are developed by all stakeholders in the nation. So it is a common practice, you could say. So coming from those more regulative approach, we propose or we look at a theoretical basis, but then a practice of coming to a land use approach identified by the users of that land. But you need to have something to stand on. Otherwise, you can't do it. You need to have ground under your feet, theoretical agreements and definitions, theoretical agreement on the wider map and things like that. If you have that, you can then use that theoretical part to identify a land use plan for a particular landscape. So what you're saying is we are on a global level trying to do theoretical sort of core definitions of what we mean when we say X, Y, Z. 
But then, God, you're, you consistently say, bring people to the table. Does that mean physically bring people around a table? Is that part of the process as well? Well, it, it can be a table, it can be a meeting room, it can be a, a village town hall. See, again, remember what I, I said, managing landscape, it's not a problem of, of ecology as much as a problem of managing people about the ecosystems. It's a process of collective action. Agreements are the core and the beginning of the story. And then, of course, you, you need to be able to be on the lookout. Did your decisions uh, have the impact you intended? Can you correct? Must you correct? All these is part of the process. But the most important element is to bring people together and agree how the system works and then what is the next step they take together. It's, it's all about recognizing the close relationships. Um, logging companies, local communities, representatives of the government are already establishing in the field. They work every day. They talk to each other every day. But we invite, we, we propose to give FSC tools to make these dialogues more transparent and more constructive. So if you think of a landscape that is not just an ecological entity, but is also human-made, then it matters what the humans are doing in that landscape. And if you want humans to work together, you usually need to put people together, which is what FSC is also doing in a standard development group. What we propose here is to bring those people together on a landscape level and identify the users of that ecological entity together so that they all cohere and that they stick to their plans uh, because they've been part of that. Could you be a bit more specific on how will you bring those people to the table? What are the tools that you're going to use that are so fundamentally different to what we already have? We said in the beginning that we would start working on the definitions that, that we've already explained. And then we would be working on maps and not uh, one more map, but this time looking at maps of potentialities. What could happen if, what if? There is the third element, and that's the final element in, in the toolbox that we are bringing, is the notion of value. We've been talking about values, but we have not yet said that a value exist only because there are humans establishing a relationship with a forest or with a landscape. That means values change when people change and the values will change when the conditions of one person looking at the forest also change. A forest that has value for me today in my conditions might have a different value tomorrow if my environment has changed. Suppose that from one day to the other, I am in lockdown. The forest I used to go now has a completely different value. So the values are necessarily dependent on who is looking at them and what are the conditions. Instead of fixing the values once and for all, we are exploring ways that help FSC members in the landscapes to realize the fluidity of these values that different stakeholders will attach to the forests are being managed, helping also them to deal with the power relationships, who dictates what happens in the landscape, who will win and lose from what happens in the landscape. And if you're the powerful one, how are you taking into account the interest of those that will gain or lose from your decisions? It's all about proposing a more socially informed, maybe, uh, framework 
about making decisions for what happens in the landscape. And that was a lovely theoretical explanation again, but what are you going to do? <laughs> what is it that you're developing? So uh, the, the secret ingredient that we are proposing FSC to discover or rediscover a, a, a tool that we have developed as part of our research to help people manage landscapes. And these tools, they look like games. Now, a game is nothing more than a model. So we are inviting people to use models to better think together how the system works and in which direction it will evolve. A, a model, normally when a scientist talks about a model, I give you a computer code, it's extremely complex and only my, my, my postdoc actually knows what is in the computer system. Games don't work like that. Games are transparency. You, you have the rules, you have the sets, you have the tokens. Anyone can learn to play the game. And if that game reflects how the system works, how the landscape works, how the forest works, then everyone gets access to the code that is central to the, to the model. And by playing, you tell a story. By playing with other people, you explore together in which direction we will your landscape move. Now, FSA has already used these kind of games and models to make agreements in the Congo Basin way back in 2017. We are inviting FSC at large to discover these way of having negotiations about what happens in the landscape. Mm, now I get it. Hema. When we have done our first phase, what we would like to do is to identify landscape in the tropics and landscape in the boreal area and to invite all the representatives of the landscape, I guess, into a workshop of a couple of days. And I, I think of it as a jigsaw puzzle and to lay that puzzle together on what use is best for the environment, best for the people, and has an economic value for this landscape to lay that down together and to really understand why you put the landscape together in this way. And then to look at what would that mean for this landscape? What would it mean for us? What would it mean for the companies working in it? What would it mean for the government? And to get an agreement on how it should be, and if it's different of what it is, to agree, how do we get there? Do we want to get there? And how do we get there? Okay, so phase one is the whole theory, literature review, and surveys, reaching out, trying to get input. Phase two is then an actual pilot study utilizing a, a game setup, a model setup. Now let's pretend those two phases are then done. And the membership of FSC all bought into the whole concept and they're happy with the definitions, they're happy with the setup. What happens then? Do you intend to analyze the whole world using this concept and methodology? Or No, what we plan to do is to, to build the theoretical basis, to then do the two uh, pilots, you could say, or trials, and to then go to the membership at the General Assembly. So we all are planning to do it this year. That's the plan. And ask the membership, this is what we found. What do you think of this? Is this something we need to develop further? And would you support us doing that? Because it would mean a change for fantasy, wouldn't it? So our members need to be in agreement with that. You're on a tight deadline, I would say. <laughs> So if I allow you to dream big for a while, and this is my last question, 
what are your highest hopes for this process? What are you hoping to solve longer term, short term? What do you dream of? So when FSC was established, FSC was very much a an organization that entered into a dialogue between different interests in forest, economic, social, environmental, um, we nowadays call it north, south. We have become in the certification business as you you would need to do very much oriented on what are the rules and we needed to do that otherwise you can't certify my big dream for FSC is to go a little bit back now that we have a certification system and we have those rules to combine that again with an agreement on land use between the people living in that land in that landscape and Having that agreement based on a good interaction, a good assessment of what the values in those landscapes are, which is actually an innovative approach. And what it could do is that it helps us identifying what are the best uses of that landscape and working from what the best use of that particular part of the landscape is in our certification work. So then you can identify this can be used industrially. That part is really indigenous cultural landscape. So we need to be very careful in, in what we do there. And we need to, whatever we do, um, it is perhaps not really an industrial logging area. You can look at particular e ecological values that you would like to conserve in a landscape and that you would actually want to further use, which is the high conservation value concept that Abyssey has, but make it a bit more, more prominent, perhaps, in, in the way you look at landscape. If you would look at a landscape like that, you would actually be a lot more predictable. You could actually say, well, these areas are fit for industrial logging and we would be happy um, to certify them for industrial logging, but those areas we wouldn't. We feel that there are ecological or social values that are extremely important to consider there. And that would help governments, that would help potential certificate holders, it would help NGOs identifying what their interest is in particular areas. And I think it would bring us a little bit back to having that dialogue about the core values of FSE again. I would love that. Well, I would like to take a step back. We, we have two elements here to consider, and I'll be very rough. There is nature and then there is society. And both can win or lose from whatever happens. So you have situations in which society wins at the expenses of nature. And it's possible to argue this is where humanity has been living for the past uh, 5,000 years. We benefit, we grow at the expenses of nature. And that takes us to the present day situation. Now, everybody wants to be in a situation where both nature and society thrive. But it seems to be difficult to find ways in which to move in that direction. If it was easy, we would already be there and we wouldn't have problems with deforestation, acidification in the oceans, whatnot. 
it's difficult to move from society wins at the expense from nature to both thrive. And actually, many people think this direction doesn't exist. And those that are concerned about the current state of nature actually think we need to, to suffer. I'm using this word. We need humanity to, to reduce in order for nature to recover. So right now we are stuck in a tug of war between people pushing in the direction where humanity thrives and nature suffers and others that are ready and willing to explore situations where humanity shrinks and nature recovers. The danger is the tension between these two can take us into everybody loses, both nature and society. We need to be creative in order to find ways by which both society and nature thrive. What we are proposing to do here with FSC is helping people in each landscape, together, using collective intelligence, working together, find ways by which society and nature thrive. And if we can do that with FSC in the forest landscapes, then this serves as proof of concept for the entire planet at a moment where we need this creativity and this collective intelligence. This is my dreaming big. I like your big dreams. <laughs> now that was a couple of big dreams I can certainly sign up for. I hope you can too. I am sure this isn't the last time we've heard about this project in this podcast series. If you want to get in touch with us or follow our work, I strongly encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovation and it's open for everyone. You can also always get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I'm Laura Worm and this was Forest for the Future. <laughs>